social influence. It's not just for the Kardashians anymore. In fact, I have taught many forward-thinking B2B professionals how to build a personal brand and create a presence on social media that advances their careers, showcases their thought leadership, and creates a dynamic relationship that expands their networks. The results I've seen are more sales, bigger wins, collaborative opportunities with a bigger network, and really a more dynamic network. So for fun, I've put together a great giveaway for some practical accoutrements to make your social influence life easy. And of course, you can always find great resources for step-by-step guidance and my thoughts on the mindset shift that real social influence requires at littlebirdmarketing.com forward resources. What's included, you ask? Well, first of all, I'm giving away one seat in our game-changing social influence course in 2024. That alone is a $3,000 value. I'm also giving away the book that I love called Social Selling, Techniques to Influence Buyers and Changemakers by my friend, Tim Hughes. And my book, Collaboration is the New Competition. It offers practical advice about what it takes for collaborative opportunities that produce those bigger wins. Also, you'll get a Ponderings from the Perch branded podcasting microphone and some wireless headphones. All the kinds of things you need to start building your influence. Best of luck. Don't miss your chance to enter to win this ultimate social influence giveaway. Check out the show notes for the link to enter. Hello and welcome to Ponderings from the Perch, Little Bird Marketing Company podcast. I'm Priscilla McKinney, the CEO and Mama Bird here. I'm with you as always as the host. Today I have one of my friends. You know how this podcast goes. I just bring my besties on and we chitty chat. So I have with me one of my good friends, Elisa Hamilton. We have known each other for years because she does a lot of amazing work with women in research and volunteers in a lot of organizations in this industry. So if you get a second, just go out to LinkedIn, say a big hello, say a big thank you to Elisa. But let me just tell you, you're going to love this conversation. But she has been in the market research industry over two decades, and she started her own business. And that's what we're going to talk about today, because a lot of people listening in are familiar with the industry. There's small fish, there's medium-sized fish, there's big fish. But what's really the difference here? What is the thinking that's going on at each different level? She's worked national, international accounts. She's worked in CPG and healthcare, B2B, nonprofit, financial services, you name it. But she really has so much experience in the qualitative and quantitative, but bringing some perspective to projects that I think you'll find is a little bit different. And that's what we're going to quiz her about today. So we talk a lot about not only like how you get that big picture, but then also how you find those small little underlying consumer motivations that are really turning the wheel. So Elisa, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Yes. I can't believe it's taken us this long, to be perfectly honest with you. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Probably should have raised my hand earlier. Yeah, that's okay. I come around and tap on people's heads at some point. (laughs) 
<laughs> so it's goose to you today. So let's talk a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey, because a lot of people who listen to this podcast are either at a big firm and thinking, should I go out on my own? Or then there's it's the flies on the other side of the screen. There's people that are in the small firm saying, oh, should I go join a big one? But then it's the other side of other people who are listening, who are the clients who are hiring research agencies. And so they want to know what is the difference? What is the feel that you get with a small agency versus a large one? And I know you've worked in both. So we're going to hear a little bit, but why? What's your particular origin story? Why did you start Harvest Insights? That's actually a really interesting question because I had absolutely no desire to be an entrepreneur. My <laughs> husband is a little bit more entrepreneurial than I am. He had several businesses when we met, but I had just no interest. But I had worked in the industry for a long time and he was traveling a ton. So this isn't a sort of mom origin story that I think a lot of people out there can relate to, which is, oh my gosh, it was just too much. I was working at a medium-sized supplier side company and traveling a lot and running their research department. And it just became honestly too much. So I went out on my own and thought, oh, this will just be a little happy lifestyle business and get to spend more time with my kids. And then it just grew in spite of me not really having a strong desire to be entrepreneurial. It just took off. And that's why I started. Well, let's talk a little bit about why it took off, why that organic experience. So what do you think you did differently? And if you can even put yourself back in some of those earlier conversations, what were clients saying to you that it was a relief, that it was different? Or like, what were their thoughts? I hate to just jump right into the whole collaboration conversation, but... Go for uh, it. I'm good for it. <laughs> I know. But when I read your book, it was so... Gave me words to express what I had done early on, which was I didn't go out and try to find a lot of big client-side companies. Instead, I went to suppliers and I said, hey, look, you know what? I've been in your shoes. I've had to hire... You, know, you can't staff for the ups and downs of the research industry. Sometimes it's feast or famine. And you really can't staff for these huge, big projects or for when you get real busy. So I went to research companies and I just said, hey, look, I can be an extra set of hands for you. I've done it all. I've done qual and quant. I've done full projects. I could just write a questionnaire. I could just do a report. I could just moderate. Whatever you need, I can step in there. And that's really how it took off because there wasn't anybody out there that was sort of saying, yeah, I don't care if you pay me for a full project. You can just pay me for a little bit or a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And it really filled the need, I think. And we, that's still how our business is designed. Now, you do qual and quant, but I think your focus is much more qual. At least most of the conversations that you and I end up are very highly qualitative, you yeah. know, methodology <laughs> driven. So tell me a little bit about what your sweet spot is. What do you love to do? Or you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm awake. I'm alive right now. Yeah, honestly, I love being in person. And I don't know that I would have said that before the pandemic, but when you lose that ability coming out of it, I realized in those first few kind of groups or interviews back in person, I was just like, oh my gosh, I forgot how fun this is. And moderating in this space and in the virtual space is fine too, but there's nothing like the energy of being with other people, I think. Yeah. So when you get in that, I'm sure you have a lot of crazy stories. And I don't know if you got to read Rob Volpe's book. I'll just off the top of my head. It's, it was so good. It's called Tell Me About That. No, 
I'm going to get it wrong. I'll get it right just in a minute. And then I'll put it in the show notes because we're friends. But it was so great. I read it like right when it came out. But there were some really interesting stories about moderator experiences. And so once I read his book and read so many of them that really have stuck with me, I now ask a lot of qualitative people, please tell me your craziest moderator story. (laughs) So tell me about that. And then I'll gather my wits about me about really prepping Rob's book correctly. But tell me your story. Oh my gosh. I have a million stories. That is the best question to ask any moderator because we all have ridiculous stories. I'm going to forgo the sex, drugs, and rock and roll stories. I do have a lot of those (laughs) as well. But I will just tell you the most recent one, which was really funny because it's an in-person and I was testing some pet food. We didn't have pets there, but we were just doing some testing with pet food. And the woman directly to my right, I was like, not really looking at her. And I looked and she took a piece of the pet food and ate it. (laughs) (laughs) This is where I stand there and I go, I have no response for that. I have not been trained as a human to respond to that. Everybody saw it. So I just joked. I just, as I use humor to deflect things, that's what I did. I just made a joke about it. But then after that group, in subsequent groups, I had to say, please don't eat the pet food. I didn't think I'd have to say that, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Okay. This is even more gross, but this is a total confessional that when I was in kindergarten, you know how they have all of these manipulatives around some of, here's Legos, here's pieces of bottle tops. Yeah. To count. Manipulate. So dump this jar of stuff. So they'd have the Folgers cans Mm -hmm. full of stuff, right? Well, one of them was dog food. And it was like, how many kids had touched this over the last 20 years that this kindergarten teacher had worked there? And I do remember, I have a vivid memory of like, I was supposed to be counting some of these things. And I literally ate one of those pieces of dog food. And can you imagine that was like 20 year old piece of dog food? (laughs) So now I was a kindergartner. So I feel like I have some license there to get away with it. Yeah, I I think that's probably fair. In this woman's defense, she did say, well, I won't feed anything to my dog that I wouldn't eat myself. So I get that. I totally get that. And I respect that. I just don't know if you're in a testing facility with a bunch of other people and you're never going to feed your dog this food, that that's the time to put that in play. But whatever. Okay. I think I almost nailed it with Rob Volpe's book, but it's tell me more about that. I think I said that. It really is focuses on that empathy. So let's talk a little bit about that because you bring, obviously, empathy in the moment, all moderators do. Otherwise, they just would not even like that job. But they bring curiosity, which is major. You've got to just be trying to get it out of people. But tell me a couple of the ways that you do engage people more or get that audience going. You say you love that in person and nothing delivers like that in-person moment. So what is that for you and what drives you in it? Let's take a short break. Are you looking for experts and tools to collect research data worldwide? Global sampling, field management, and data collection are just some of the services that Gazelle Global provides. Visit gazelleglobal.com to learn more about how our expertise can help you unearth quality data that drives meaningful insights. Get your research done anywhere around the world quickly and efficiently. Visit gazelleglobal.com today. 
I honestly, I think I use humor to just make people feel comfortable from the beginning. If you were to watch my kids say that they can do my whole spiel at the beginning of focus groups <laughs> by heart, because I do use the same jokes over and over. That's a moderator's secret. But it does just make people feel a little bit more comfortable. Oh, you're a human being. I'm a human being. We're just going to have a, a conversation and that sort of, I think, sets the tone, whether you're in person or even especially online, I think, because it's a lot harder for people to get that personal feeling from an online conversation. So that's how I always start. And then I do find the person in the room that can handle a joke or two, or it can relate and use them to help with the whole group too, because people, you have all kinds of personalities in a group and it's hard to sometimes bring the quiet ones out and it's actually more difficult to shut the loud ones up. <laughs> hey, you know what? I know you're talking to me. And <laughs> there's always one of us in the group. I can't help it. <laughs> but I think the more mature that particular individual gets, the more they realize that they can actually shut up sometimes. <laughs> maybe they should. And maybe they should. And also don't people... eat the dog food. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I am guilty on both counts here. Like this podcast is not going well for me. Okay. So let me talk a little bit about my audience, what they listen for. So I like in this podcast to pull that curtain back and say, hey, these are just people behind here running successful businesses. So you've explained to us, look, it's just a love of moderating. You started this business. It was originally a lifestyle business and it's grown. So as that entrepreneur, entrepreneur now that you're fully engaged in saying, I want this, and you are actively growing your business, what are you thinking? And for us, we are at the beginning of the year. So we often say, okay, coming into this year, what do we think? But it's really about telling some other people that might be a little bit younger or considering starting something. What are you thinking actively, not necessarily about being a moderator or being a deliverer of market research, but about being the business owner? What's going on in your mind about that? The business owner part is the hardest part because I'm trained to be a researcher. So, and I'm trained to ask questions and that kind of thing. So being the business owner is definitely the most difficult for me. So I really tried to just flip the script a little bit and ask myself questions. The best thing about being out on your own for those who are considering it is you do have some control over what direction you go. Do you want to do more qualitative or more quantitative? Do you want to work with more client side companies or do you want to work with more research businesses? Like the question you asked me earlier with what makes you most passionate, what fills your cup? And so I spend a lot of time throughout the year thinking about that and try to reflect on projects that really empty my cup. And maybe the next time I don't take that kind of project because it's just not. It's actually part of the reasons I started the business too, because I was doing a lot of pharmaceutical research and I just found that that doesn't fill my cup. It was a lot of the same project over and over again. And while I had developed this fun methodology to do, it just wasn't fun anymore when you do it 10 times in a row. So now you're a certified women's business on yes. enterprise business. So tell me about that and maybe even how it links with the work. And you talk about collaboration and your mindset in this way. You've been volunteering and working with women in research as well. Tell me a little bit about your organizational thought process here. Being certified that, has that really helped you? And then also what other organizations do you work with that have helped you build the company? Yeah, I don't think it helps me to be completely honest with you. This um, is so funny, Alisa. <laughs> I agree with you. I like this hasn't done anything for me. You know? It's a very long and arduous process and people ask about it all the time. And I'm like, you know what? Honestly, I would not. I was actually counseled the same. Don't bother. But 
I just felt because I do work with so many female organizations, women in research and some others, I just, I felt like I should do it. So I did, but has it helped grow the business? No. I think if you're working with government agencies, maybe if you're working with really large companies, but like I said, I tend to work, my clients are not huge companies, my client side clients, and then my research side clients don't really have much interest. So no, it doesn't really grow the business, but I did it anyway. Well, what advice would you give to people in the industry right now? What organizations have helped you build your business and what have your experiences been? I tried a lot when I first went out on my own. I did try to join some non-industry related women's or business owner organizations. And I just found that they weren't a great fit because the businesses weren't very that the women owned in those groups just weren't very complimentary to mine. They weren't professional services businesses. And so I just didn't really have a lot in common with them. So women in research were by far the best because everybody there is speaking the same language. And then I joined the Entrepreneurs Organization, which is EO. And I really like that one. That one has been really helpful because you have a small group so you can talk about like your particular business problems. And like I said, since I don't necessarily have an entrepreneurial spirit, (laughs) they hold you accountable and help provide some direction. So I really like that one as well. Yeah. So what do you think right now? What's your next move with growing your business? Are you adding people? Are you staying? Is this going to be a year of really just staying put and doing a little bit more of what you love? What's your thinking? Last year was my year of staying put. This year we are going to try to grow. I am going to hire. I think the one thing I'm, I'm struggling with this year is I have, since I started this business, had a philosophy of only hiring part-time. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, I feel like I can get really experienced people that maybe just don't want to put in the 60, 70, 80 hours a week anymore. And so if they work 20 hours a week, that's great for me. I'm getting somebody really experienced and I'm not paying a full time salary. And the other reason is because I don't want to work in an environment where people are working 60 hours a week. That's not the culture that I'm building. And so if everybody's part-time, then we can all step in and help each other. Honestly, I'm full-time. That's not really an option. But um. <laughs> Or as my husband says, when I talk about lowering my hours, you know what, Priscilla, if you just worked 40 hours, it would feel like you went part-time. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's actually true. I know. It's ironic that I so desire to give that to my employees. It is an interesting balance. And I really respect you for this. We can always have these conversations where on one hand, some people wear this, I work so many hours as a badge. Or people are like, I'm never going to like, it can be a badge either way. And I think it's just you and I've chosen what we want and we're doing the thing we want. And I spend the number of hours based on what my personal goals are. And I don't need to get someone else's kudos or create a sense of identity for myself. But still, yeah, I work 60 hours. I also don't want to have friendships and colleagues where I'm not really being honest about that either. Yeah. And you love what you do. I love what I do. So it doesn't feel overwhelming for me. And actually the people that work for me that work part-time 20 hours or 30 hours or whatever fits with that, what they want to accomplish, they love what they do too. They just were burned out from some other experience. So it's a great fit, but it is a struggle because as you try to grow a business, that's where I'm, oh, I really want to keep that culture. I love it. 
and how does that fit <laughs> and we with still growing? Need to grow. Yeah. Because you really need that buy-in, not just to come in and do the work, but how do we actually bring this company to the next level? And you're right. That is a real struggle. And that's a transition. We're all at a different place in our entrepreneur journey. And I think that's what's so cool about this podcast is it's being able to hear people's story, how they got here. Because some people are saying, oh, well, I don't really have an entrepreneurial bone in my body. I, well, you still can do it. You really can. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not originally a very detail stop, slow the whole process down on the Colby scale. I'm a nine, which is a quick start, which means that if I had an idea today for a new product, I already sold it yesterday. <laughs> so I'm this kind of person who likes to move that fast, but I have mm -hmm. had to teach myself in my entrepreneurial journey, stop, make a system, show everybody what I'm thinking, show all my work, give an organization, what are the standard operating procedures? What are the quality control checks we're going to do? And then move and yeah, that's not natural to me either, but that's one of the things I've just had to learn and to do. So I hope people listening here, if you're thinking of going on your own, this is an interesting, different story. If you're trying to figure out how do I grow, can you think through the part-time thing? Can you think through the full-time? What are you really trying to do? Just basically to know that there are options. You don't have to do it the same traditional way everybody else has done it. And then I guess the other thing I would love to say, if you're listening and you're working at a research team that is incredibly overloaded and overwhelmed, what you heard from Elisa is that was the whole design of her company was to say, let me find these teams who don't necessarily want to hire in mass <laughs> only to three months later, not have a project to give that team. So they want to take the work but they don't want to have all that overhead. So she's willing to take a small piece, a large piece, a qual piece, a quant piece, anything like that, as long as it's going to be interesting. <laughs> yes, that is true. Interesting, interesting work. But I love yes. that. Kind of you built a business around this as needed basis and not everybody wants to do that. And I, I think it's really lovely to hear someone else's story. Alisa, I can't wait to see you in person this year because I do believe as you do, there's nothing that's like in person. And I'll give Sarah Kotfer from Fieldwork a shout out with hashtag face-to-face -face MRX. That's right. That's right. <laughs> because we all really believe that's it. It's just something super special and it's something cool about our industry. And I do love that we all do get together and especially a shout out also to women in research. And thank you for all the things you do to volunteer in that. I know all of us contributing makes a big difference. And I love having a colleague who loves to participate and volunteer in the things that I also hold dear. So Alisa, thank you so much for joining us. People, you need to go out on her LinkedIn, connect with her. It's A-L-I-S-A. And the last name is Hamilton, H-A-M-I-L-T-O-N, just like what you were thinking. But she is so accessible and approachable. And if anything that we've talked about today is brings up another question for you, whatever it is that's emerging, reach out to her and connect. Alisa, thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me, Priscilla. This was very fun and not as scary as I thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> A little duck goose is always good. So right. from all the peeps here at Little Bird Marketing, have a great day and happy marketing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.